Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. This is a New Year teaching series to help us understand biblical richness. The truth is, all of us long to be rich. However, richness can be defined in many different ways. Why not allow the Word of God to shape your understanding of being rich? With sound teaching and understanding, your life can reflect these biblical truths and you can learn how to get rich in 2014. Get ready to receive the blessings that God wants to pour out on you in the year ahead. Here's our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, with today's message. How are we doing, church? We doing good? Yeah, praise God. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That, um, that will probably be the last time I can say that to you, right? Happy, happy New Year. What a great, beautiful day it is to gather in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Wow, so glad you are here. Love the worship, love the crowds. I'm sure it's the same way at all of our campuses. In fact, I want to look into the camera and I want to welcome all of our campuses, many, many campuses. Why don't you just give it up for all of them today? Just celebrate the movement all over the place. Welcome to all of you. Hey, I got some great, great praise reports for you today. Listen in. This is just going to fire you up. Sometimes you got to stop and just look back. Because sometimes if you're in a church like ours, because we're always moving fast and we're taking new territory and we have a big, bold vision. If you're not careful, you can just move on without celebrating what God did just a few weeks ago. And if you're anything like me, you can just move on, not just without celebrating, but like kind of forgetting. Like, y'all remember Operation Christmas Child? Operation, I know it seems like forever ago. 750 families we're giving shoeboxes around the globe as a result of New Hope Church. Children blessed and experiencing Christmas because of you. Christmas offering. Remember that? We received a Christmas offering this year. We do that almost every year. You generously gave $161,000 to the Christmas offering this year. That enabled our church to finish the fiscal year 2013 strong and poised and ready for 2014. Compassion Global Experience. Do you remember that? Out in the parking lot. We had all those people from all over the state descend upon this place and we engaged it as well. We saw over 200 children sponsored monthly... Sponsored monthly where those kids and those families are going to have food to eat, exposure to doctors and medical care, education, and so much more. Praise God. Praise God. I've said it before. I'll say it till the day I die. Listen, there is nothing like the church when she is hitting on all cylinders. She's the hope of the world. And I know we've had our struggles and problems in church history. I know. I get all that. But let me tell you something. You take the church out of the world and it is lights out. It's nothing. Nothing like the church when she is hitting on all cylinders. And you folks are. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and fill with them today. Lord Jesus, I pray that you take my lips and speak through them today. For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And the faith-filled people of God said, Amen. Are right, you guys ready to go? You ready to go? Buckle your seatbelts. Let's go. I got my sweat rag. <laughs> Dignified sweat rag. I'm ready. 
Let me talk to you about what we did last week. If you missed last week, you missed a great Sunday. I encourage you to go to the Resource Center and pick up the CD. But let me just give you a little review. First of all, let me give you a disclaimer. If you are a guest, if you're a guest, first-time guest, you need to know that today we're talking about money. And I always worry. I need to just be very, very honest with you. I always worry when the guest shows up and we're talking about money. I, 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 like, I'm so glad you're here. But if I was really, really honest with you, I wish you to come another Sunday. Like my, my, my barber guy who cuts my hair, I've been building relationships with him for like a year now. And uh, he and his mother came to the Christmas services. They're totally unchurched. They were here. I was so happy they finally came. And I got my hair cut this week. And uh, his mother said, I'm coming back. And my first thought was, can you wait a few weeks? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm just being real because I'm afraid that the guest shows up and thinks, oh, it's one of those kinds of churches. And you need to know we're not one of those kinds of churches. I probably don't preach on money enough at this church. It is a subject that runs throughout the Bible. It is in the Bible more than heaven and hell. Jesus spoke a lot about money because Jesus knew if he could get a person loving God with their money, he had a fully devoted follower. So I probably don't talk about it enough, um, and we're not one of those churches. I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest, if you're an unbeliever, you get a buy. You just get a buy. Pull out, you know, it does say in Hesitation 7-1, thou shalt not check Facebook in church. But if you're a guest and you want to check Facebook, just check Facebook. You do a little tweet or play a little game, whatever you want to do. Um, you get a buy today, while the rest of us hunker down and talk about a very, 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 very important Subject. I'm so glad you're here, but those are my honest feelings. So last week, we, we talked about the first installment of How to Get Rich. And we were in First Chronicles 29, and we talked about King David. you remember? And King David was late in his life. The sun was starting to set on his life, and he realized, wow, I'm sitting in here enjoying this ostentatious lap of luxury lifestyle with more money than any of us could ever imagine, more gold, more silver, more bronze, more walnut paneling, more anything. And, and he realizes that, oh, I'm in here enjoying this, and God's kind of outside in a box in a tent. In the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. You know how the Old Testament thinking goes. We know that God wasn't really out there in a box, in a tent. God's everywhere. But, but that's how ancient Israel experienced God. And it was their deal and it was real. And God, God used those things. But David had this epiphany and David decides, I'm going to build a temple. And David sets out to build a temple. And then God lets him know, you can't build the temple. You got blood on your hands. You got too much of a history. You can't build it. Your, young, your son Solomon is going to build the temple. And what's interesting is you think David would get hacked off and just say, forget you, God. David kind of becomes the chairman of the capital campaign and raises all of these funds and actually leads the way in giving to the temple, to God's house. And last week it demonstrated for us how God wants to use our stuff to make his name great, to exalt the name of the Lord. And then I made the connection with how, isn't it interesting that about 550 years later, Jesus comes along and walks into the temple. The same temple. Now, not the same physical temple, if you know what I mean. The temple has been destroyed many, many, many times along the way. But Jesus walks into the temple, turns over the money changers, and basically the rest of the New Testament explains how ancient Israel is replaced by the body of Christ and the temple is replaced by the church of Jesus Christ. And again, if you missed that, go to the Resource Center and pick it up today at any of our campuses. But there were three key statements that I gave you last Sunday, and I want us to read those out loud. 
Ready? Go. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is dispersed by God. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is dispersed by God. And then I asked you this question a couple times. Do you want to get rich? Do you want to know how to get rich? And some of us didn't even know how to answer that. I think, but I'm not sure if that's godly or not. That's why this series is so clarifying for us. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rich, beloved. It's how you define richness. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have great blessings and great prosperity and use that prosperity for Christ. I asked you, do you want to know how to get rich? And then I said, this is how you do it. You realize and live like you are a what? And not an owner. You realize that you are a steward and not an owner. And so the whole point of last week's message was it was to remind us and teach us that we don't own a thing. A Christian biblical worldview perspective. Like, I don't own anything. You, you don't own anything. And some of you are like, who are you talking to? I got stuff all up in my name. You don't own it, beloved. That's worldly ways of just saying who's going to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? You don't own the clothes you wear from a biblical Christian worldview. You don't own the house you live in or the apartment you lease or your second house or your third house. You don't own your car. You don't even own your kids. And on the good days, that might sound like bad news. On the bad days, that's awesome. You don't own your spouse. Same thing. On the good days, like, all right, I can handle that. When your spouse is acting like, you know what? It's like, God, they belong to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we don't... Oh, y'all getting carried away on that one now. We don't own a thing. But I'm here to tell you that the transition from owner to steward is the key that unlocks... The door to financial freedom and the riches of God unlocks the door. Now today, today, I'm going to start drilling down. Last week we were at about 30,000 feet, right, on this whole big stewardship ownership deal. Today I'm going to start drilling down and as practically as I can, I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about being a steward, Now, because this transition from ownership to stewardship, listen, is such a paradigm shift. For some of you, it's going to catch you off guard. For others of you, listen, it's going to require a total rearrangement. A total reprioritization of all of your stuff, your entire worldview. This is a big paradigm shift, but this is where we are going Today, if you're ready for it, say, bring it, Pastor. I, I gave a lot of credit last week. I, I tell you, I never stand on the shoulder. Uh, I never stand on my own. I always stand on the shoulders of great people like Dave Ramsey. Uh, Andy Stanley's taught me a lot about finances. Ron Blue. Ron Blue is from Atlanta. And Ron Blue, if you've never read any of his books, Ron Blue uh, does a masterful job of talking about money to the American Christian. And he basically says, and if you're a note taker, oh my Lord, get out, get out your teaching notes. And it's new these days. It's kind of cool. Who likes this instead of the bulletin? 
That's awesome right there. Uh, saved a lot of trees too, praise God. Um, but that, there, there's a place on the back for you to take notes. Ron Blue actually talks about there being five primary ways in which we spend our money. Now, I've joined two and I've made it four. Five primary ways that we spend our money. The first thing we do, and he gives it in a certain order. The first thing we do, help me out, church, we do what? We spend it, okay? We spend money. The second thing is we pay bills and taxes. Say, God help us. <laughs> the third thing we do is we save it. And the fourth thing we do is we what, church? We give it. Now, just take a moment and think about your money, whatever your money is, however much money you have, your income stream, whatever the case may be. Everything you do with every last dollar you have can fall into one of these four buckets, if you will. Now, what determines what money we put in what buckets comes down to our priorities and self-control. Priorities and self-control determine where and how we spend our money. If I am an owner, listen, then I will spend it, save it, pay it, give it, however I see fit because I'm the owner. I tell myself where I'm going to spend my money. But, and that's a big old but. But... <laughs> I came out kind of wrong, didn't it? <laughs> but if I am a steward, I will spend it, pay it, save it, all of that. Not how I see fit, but how the owner, God, sees fit. How God directs me to spend my money. If we're tracking, let me hear an Amen. Now, now, follow me here for a moment. If, if I am the owner, then this is how I spend my money. It all fits into one of these four buckets. But if I am an owner, this is also the order in which I spend my money. This is... I haven't been reading your email. But is this not the way most of us do it? We spend it. And sometimes we don't have self-control. You ever had buyer's regret? All of us have, right? Sometimes we, we just spend it. Priorities and self-control is a little weak. We spend it based on the owner model. Then we, we grit our teeth and we pay bills and taxes. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Then, then some of us, not many Americans, but some of us save it, right? We save it. And then, then if there's any left over, we give it. We live life... Most Christians in America live life and they take all their income streams and they, they live it like that. And then they come to the give it component. And it becomes a leftover. Now, how many of you enjoy leftovers? How many enjoy leftovers? 
I said, here's what I know. Most of the people who raise their hand, most, most people who raise Women, you, you kind of like leftovers better than men. And, and it's cool because you guys are so amazing and you can kind of create stuff out of leftovers. But, but most of us aren't really, really crazy about leftovers unless it's Thanksgiving leftovers on Friday. Can I get an amen? But anyway, my, I mean, like my, my wife and I, we, we, we love to have guests over our home. And we've been married um, <laughs> around 18 years. <laughs> Nineteen this May, um, I think, and we we've had so many people over our homes, and we love to entertain. And uh, you know what? I, I had this realization as I was thinking about this message. We have never, ever, ever had a guest over our home and served them leftovers. Like when we know a guest is coming over, we'll go get fresh groceries. We 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 try to prepare a fresh, delicious meal for our guest. I mean, just last night we had some friends over for the horrible Colts Patriots football game. <laughs> horrible game, and we had them over, and it wasn't a dinner deal. It was just come over after you eat. We're just going to chill. And and my wife had baked cookies earlier in the day for the kids, and we had leftover cookies. My wife would not even serve them leftover cookies. We bake them fresh cookies. We never, ever, ever serve guests leftovers. Like We've never, ever gone out the day before our guests uh, were arriving. And we've never gone out and prepared this fabulous mo- uh, meal with fresh groceries and produce and all that kind of stuff. Prepared the meal. And then our family enjoyed it. And then the next day served our guests leftovers. We've never done that. H- have you ever been to someone's house where they served you leftovers? Somebody told me that happened to them this Christmas. They went to somebody's house and they served them leftovers. And now, you know, if you're really close with somebody, it's okay. But I'm talking about like a special guest. Because some of you are like, dude, I do that all the time. <laughs> but how would you feel if you were invited to a dinner, a nice dinner, and you were served leftovers? Now, here's my point. Many of us, many of us, many of us, many of us, many of us in the church today do the exact same thing with God. Say, God, I've spent it. I've got to pay my bills and my taxes. I haven't even got to save any this month, God. It's all kind of been up here. If you have saved some, maybe it's good for you. We'll talk about that. Save. But God, raid my refrigerator. I've had a nice meal, God. Been all over the place. Spending my money doing this and doing But God, you raid my refrigerator. Hey, God, you, you can help yourself to the Tupperware containers. You get my leftovers. That is what many people in the church today do. And I want to talk to you today about an entirely different way to live your life. From the scriptures, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. He's powerfully teaching. We're going to look at this great passage just like last week. We kind of landed on 1 Chronicles 29. Today we're going to land on Matthew 6. But there is this teaching throughout the Scripture, Old and New Testament, that teaches that Christian stewardship starts. It's a bare minimum. It starts with the tithe. The what church? Tithe. 
It means 10%. The word is apodicato. It means 10. How many commandments are there? How many virgins were in the Bible in the parable? How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Ten is a test. Malachi, go read Malachi uh, chapter 3 and 4 on the tithe. It is a 10% test. That is what you see taught throughout the entire scripture. We're going to land on Matthew 6, verses 24 and following. Here's the word. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Help me out with this next part. You cannot serve both. Say that one more time out loud, all of our campuses. You cannot serve both God and money. Stop right here. This is why money runs throughout the Bible. This is why Jesus talked about it more than heaven and hell. This is why... Money is talked about more than any other subject in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly, other than the kingdom of God. This is why Martin Luther said to us, said there are usually three conversions in life. There's the conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the wallet or the pocketbook. Now let's go, let's go forward. Matthew 6, 25. Let's continue. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, come come on, let's just stop and reflect on that for just a moment. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're like that guest I was talking about, you're a guest, you're not a Christian, whatever the case may be. Even if you're not a Christian, we can all agree that's true. Can we not? Can we not agree that life is more than food, clothes, stuff we wear? As a pastor, I get to be with people at their greatest moments and their worst moments. Do you know that I have never, ever, ever been with anyone who was just, they lived a great long life and they got to the end of their life. I've never been with anyone who is at that point who said, you know what, I wish I had more stuff. You know, I wish I had shopped at Buckle a few more times. I wish I had a little bit more in my 401k. Jesus is truth. Even for the non-Christian. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're going, yeah, yeah, that's true. Life is more than that. If you're a Christian, you're going, amen. You know, we say amen. You say, yeah, it's all good. Matthew 6, 26. Let's continue. 26 through... 30. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, now make it personal. God is saying to you, are you not much more valuable than those things? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Anybody in the movement ever struggle with worry? Yeah, thanks for your honesty. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? What's those last four words? You of of little 
faith. Unbelievable. Do you know why we worry? And all of us worry from time to time. You know why we worry about things? We worry about things because we don't trust God. We worry. And men, we, we have a tendency, don't we men? We have a tendency to really worry about stuff. I know women, you do too. And I know I'm broad stroking, so I'm not overly stereotyping here. I'm just saying, men, we, men, we worry about like, we worry about money and stuff. It's kind of in our DNA, right? Right? Money stuff, money stuff, sex, money stuff, money stuff, sex, money stuff, money stuff, money stuff, money stuff, sex. I know, I know we do, ladies. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. You know why we do that? The money stuff part. Because <laughs> we struggle with trusting God. We struggle with trusting God. And ladies, you worry too. You just have a tendency to worry about other things, but you worry just as much. And, and we all struggle with worry. I struggle with worry. And when I ever struggle with worry, you know what I can rest assured on? I know immediately I'm not trusting God. And whenever I worry, I start to actually believe it's sin. And so I need to try to eradicate worry from my life and become a faith-filled, trusting Christian who trusts my heavenly father. Do you remember your first income? Thought about this this week, too. Do you remember your first five-digit income? I remember mine. $17,500 student pastor. I was rich. I was rich. I couldn't believe I was making that kind of money. Right? And do you remember how you started to think, even in those days, wherever you were, whenever you had your first kind of solid income stream, you remember when you started to think, if I can just make more, I'll worry less. How's that working out for you? Trust God. If you're going to get this stewardship thing, you've got to learn to trust God. And you know what the you know what the the the, the summarization of the the few verses we just read in Matthew six are. Here it is, and I want you to repeat it after me. Say, my heavenly Father knows what I need. At all of our campuses, is really strong. My heavenly Father knows what I need. Go back to Matthew six. Let's just keep plowing through the text. Matthew 6. I lost it, but I got it. Matthew 6. So do not worry, saying, what shall we wear or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you what? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now here it is. Here it is. Watch this verse. But seek first his kingdom. In fact, let's read that out loud together. Ready? Go. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, come on, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let the church say amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Of its own. Isn't that true? Jesus is saying, listen, there are two ways to live in this life. 
One is to be consumed with worry about the day-to-day needs and ultimately, come on, come on, give God my leftovers. But in verse 33, Jesus starts to offer the contrast. Did you catch it? You can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What are those things? Your clothes, your dwellings, your 401k, your education, your vocation, your income stream will be given to you if you learn to live like a steward and not an owner and you trust me. Here it is. If you're a note taker, every now and then I'll just give you sentences that just capture most of what I've said so far. Jesus is plainly saying, if you get heavily invested in what I am doing financially, then I will get heavily involved in your finances and in your day-to-day needs. Oh, my land, that'll, that'll turn your paradigm and your world and your understanding of finances upside down, or might I more appropriately say right side up. This is in stark contrast to this. In fact, if you take and apply what I just said, the whole thing turns on its head. And stewardship is not spend it, pay bills and taxes, save it and give it. Stewardship from a biblical perspective is to what first? Give it, save it, pay bills and taxes and spend it. The world lives one way. The biblical worldview comes around and turns it on its head. Exactly. Wow. That is the equation for biblical richness. Stewardship is about rearranging our finances, reordering and reprioritizing based on a biblical worldview and the understanding that I am a steward and not an owner. So let me end with this. Let's go application. Let's spend 10, 15 minutes talking about exactly how we do this. And some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, why is he talking about all this? He's all up in my stuff. You know, even at the campuses. Some of you might be wanting to come through the screen. You're sitting there and you're like this. If you're new here, you need to know I love you and I want what is best for you. I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. Did you hear that? I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I need something. I want something for you. I want you to experience richness from a biblical sense. Stewardship steps of application. Here we go. If you're ready for it, say, come on, pastor. I love you. Here we go. Number one, as soon as you are paid, give the biblical tithe to God. As soon as you are paid, not leftovers, but give the biblical tithe to God. Seek God first and live off the remainder. You turn it on its head. Listen, I'm not, and listen, I've, I've never 
ever, ever. And I know this is a big, strong statement, but it is true. I've never known anyone who started to tithe who said they regretted it. Never. Ever. And you would think I would in 26 years of ministry. I've never heard anybody say that. So what the tithe is, as I said earlier, is the tenth. So I got $10. Right? $10 right here. The tithe is a Christian understanding that I am a steward and not an owner. So when I get $10, God, I'm going to, right off the gate, I'm going to give you one. That's what a tithe is. And I don't know about you. Is anybody else like this? I do that, and I sit up here, and I go, God, but I got nine more. I kind of start to feel a little guilty. I mean, when you look at it, like, one out of ten is kind of easy to think about, isn't it? Like, I, I could convince all of you, even the non-believers in the house today. I think I could convince you to give one out. If you had $10, I think I could convince you to give one. One's easy. I mean, I could show you pictures of needy children, you know, manipulate you. Right? Which y'all know I don't roll like that either. But like I could get, I think I could get most of you to do that. It's easy when you think about one out of ten. It's a little more difficult, isn't it, when you think about ten out of a hundred. It gets, it gets a little more difficult when you think of one hundred out of a thousand. It gets a little more difficult when you like... You think I should tithe a thousand off of my ten thousand dollar Christmas bonus? Are you telling me that the Bible teaches that if I make a hundred thousand dollars, I should bring ten percent of it back as a tithe that belongs to who? God. That's what the Bible teaches. It's for some reason it's easier when it's less. You know why? You know why? Come on. Because we're enamored with amounts. God is not enamored with amounts. <laughs> Everything, even the richest person up in here and in any of our campuses, even the richest person, your stuff is small to God. God's not enamored with amounts, but we get enamored with amounts. So stewards take their income streams and they tithe off of those income streams. Everybody reach up under the book rack in the chair in front of you. And the people on the front row will see it on the floor. The big piece of cardstock at our campuses. It'll be in the pews for Sanford. Sanford Church got pews up in the house. They're the one campus we got with pews. Love it, love it, love it. But the other campuses, you've got it up under the chair. You've got it in your chair pockets. You've got it all over the place. Some of you have seen this before. By the way, I've started doing this about once a year. The book of Malachi says to test me. God says to test me in this and see if I will not pour open the floodgates of heaven and bless you. If you don't believe anything I'm saying, but you're willing to try it. I took a big old leap of faith a few years ago and I... Said this church, we said we're going to do a tithing test. Everybody see that card? All of our campuses? Right there, you can read this on your own. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm going to summarize it for you right here. You ready? In just a few sentences. If you don't believe what I'm saying and you don't trust God in it, why don't you test Him? Test Him. And what I've said for three years now 
is that if you will test God, follow Malachi, you can read the scripture on your own. If you will test God and tithe to God's storehouse, and if you will do that and you fill out this form, if you're just the kind of person, you need a little insurance, you know what I'm saying? You need to know you're covered. And if God does not bless you way beyond what you can imagine, if at the end of those six months, listen, you might think I'm crazy, but if at the end of those six months you want your money back, oh yeah, that's what we do. This church will give you every dollar you gave back. No questions asked. It's a test. I'm not testing you. Read the scripture. God says, test me. I've done it three years. We've had hundreds of people do it. I want to be honest with you. You know how many people we've asked? You know how many people have asked us for their money back? Not a one. Not a one. Now, am I saying their life just turned out glory? I don't know. I, I, I can't make that sure. I don't know. I just know that hundreds, and when I say hundreds, I, it's, it's up toward the 500. It's not just around 100. Up toward the 500 probably have filled out these tithe tests. And to my knowledge, no one has ever asked for their money back. I want you to tithe. I believe every Christ follower should tithe. As a bare minimum, I believe every Christ follower should tithe. One more thing, and then I'm going on with steps of application. I believe the most faithful way to give these days to the church of Jesus Christ is through e-giving. Do you know that we've now reached a point where over 50% of the money that comes into this storehouse for God's kingdom is through e-giving? You are looking at an e-giving giver. I held off as long as I could. I mean, I just loved writing that check every month. I, Amy Lynn handles most of the bills, but I insisted on writing that tithe check. And for years, I wrote that tithe check. And then I started to realize at the end of the year, I'd get the giving report back from the church, and I wasn't giving the full tithe. I started to realize, that. I'm like, whoa, what is happening? And then I started to realize, whoa, there are Sundays when I show up and I forget. And then I say I'm going to make it up next week, right? I say I'm going to make it up next week, but then life happens and we kind of can forget. And so about two years ago, I went to e-giving. Best thing I ever did. It's secure. It's safe, it's easy, and here's why it's the bomb. Or as my kids say, here's why it's the bomb.com. It's the bomb because you can actually set it up on automatic giving. You don't even have to worry about it. And we knew, hey, some people are still a little hesitant with that kind of stuff. Some of you are just, I don't know about that. The productions team put together a 30-second video that shows you just how easy this is. Watch this. So you want to know how to give online. Well, it's easy. First, go to newhopenc.org. Second, click the I Give button in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. Third, fill in all of your personal information, including how much you want to give, the purpose of your gift, and which account you want to give it from, whether it's your checking, your savings, or your credit card. And then fourth, click Make Transaction. That's it. It's that easy. That easy is the way to give in the 20. First century, I believe most faithfully, but there, you know, there are other ways here. Um, number two. So the first one is what? As soon as you are paid, you give the what? Biblical tithe to God, just biblical stewardship. I'm trying to teach you here. Number two, as soon as you get paid, give yourself some savings. So you give it and you save it. And I've taught on this before from the scriptures, particularly from the book of Proverbs. But some of you aren't sure saving is good. Some of you are like, um, some of you are uber spiritual. Like, I don't need to save. Jesus is going to come any day now. <laughs> what freaking ever? He might come. 
but he's kind of tarried for 2,000 years, beloved. I'd save a little bit. <laughs> I don't know where all that came from. Sorry. I mean, savings is wise. Savings is biblical. And if I could just put it in a sentence, saving is hope for the future. Come on now. Saving is hope for the future. The second thing I do every month, the first thing I do every month, I give to the Lord. I give his tithe. That's a bare minimum. My wife and I have a goal every year to give more than the tithe. Bare minimum, we give that. Second thing I do every single month is I save. I save for my children's education, right? I save for a rainy day. I save for Amy Lynn's retirement because I'm probably going to die before her, right? And I'm going to preach to the day I die. I don't know that retirement's even in the Bible for the preacher, amen? I'm going to preach, 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 preach. But I save, and saving is key. Save, 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 save something for the rainy day. Because rainy days come. Save something for when you can't work anymore. Number three, pay your taxes and bills, and if needed, develop a plan for getting out of debt. Pay your taxes and your bills, and if needed, develop a plan for getting out of debt. Now, I just want to be real up in here, as if I'm never uh, not real. <laughs> I hate paying taxes. I hate paying taxes. Our government is so jacked up in terms of efficiency and how they handle their money. I'm not coming down on a particular administration. I'm talking about, you look back over the history of the American government... It is the poorest example of money management and efficiency of any entity on the planet. Amen, Amen she said. I, I hate paying taxes. I don't want you to think. I don't want you to be that Pastor Benji. He's just so godly. He just gets so excited about paying taxes. I hate it. In fact, I, can't, I, I don't even touch it. I'm like, Amy Lynn, I can't do it. You do it. Don't even tell me. Do it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But the Bible says that we should respect and submit to our government officials. And besides that, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to jail. I've been there before. I don't want to go back. I'll only go back for one reason. Some hairy leg punk messed with my daughter. I will go back to jail again and start a prison ministry. paying taxes, man, but I pay them. I pay bills. Our government is messed up. And our government, I'm about, to, I'm about to probably go in areas I shouldn't go today, but our government is creating a mindset and a culture whereby people don't want to work anymore and they want a handout. And I want to just let you know from a biblical perspective that we are to work and we are to pay our bills. We're, I mean, come on, come on. Did you know that this kind of scripture is in the Bible? 2 Thessalonians 3.10. While we were with you, we gave you the order. Whoever doesn't want to work shouldn't be allowed to eat. Hello. That's why I tell you people you should read your Bibles. This stuff is in here. Can I talk about debt? Can I talk about debt for just a moment? You need to get out of debt. 
And some of you are like, now you really meddling, you getting up in my business. <laughs> some of you are thinking this is not your business. With all due respect, I want to disagree. As your pastor who cares for you and wants to shepherd over you, this is a lot of my business. And let me explain why. And again, I don't want to make anybody feel bad today because I know some of you, you're, you're trying to dig out of debt and you're trying. All I want to do is actually come alongside you and encourage you. That, that's all I want to do. Because the American mindset is debt, 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 debt. If you study the American Christian, the average household gives or spends over $1,000 a year in credit card debt. I'm talking about credit card debt, okay? I realize you, you might need to get in debt to, to, to buy a home, right? I, I realize that. But what if it stopped there? So I'm not going to talk about home debt. I just want to talk to you about credit debt. I did the research this week from an agency called the National Association for Consumer Advocates. And 50%, 50 to 60% of the American households spend over $1,000 in credit card debt. Come on, is that not true? That, that would mean half of us. Boom. At all the campuses, just split the room. Half in your mind. Half, you folks are in debt. Sorry, you just happened to, the lot just fell on you. You folks are doing good over here. Okay, same at all of our campuses. Now think about this for a moment. New Hope. I did the research this week. I contacted the finance department. New Hope had 2,729 givers in the church in 2013. Giving households, units, households. So let's be conservative because I don't want to overstate any of this. Let's just round down. So instead of 1,000 or 2,720, if you cut that in half, right? Okay, let's just go ahead and round down. If you cut it in half, it's 13, 1,364, half of that. 1,364. Let's round down to 1,000. So we're conservatively speaking. 1,000 giving households at New Hope. That's 50%. And I told you 50 to 60%. Here's my point. 1,000 giving households at New Hope. Spending $1,000 a month on credit card debt equals $1 million that we spend on credit card debt in 2013. Credit card debt is throwing money away. And again, I'm not trying to heap you with guilt. Man, last day, I want to build you up today. I want to build you up. But, and, and it's going to take time. If you're in debt, it's going to take time. But you can do it. You can get out of debt. Would you just start imagining with me what we could do with an extra million dollars for the kingdom of God? Imagine how we could impact and, and, and take to the next level, reach, teach, and release. Imagine the number of villages that we could sponsor in Kenya and Haiti like we're already doing. Imagine the number of clean water wells we could provide to people who are dying because of dirty water. Imagine the number of precious women of God we could extrapolate from the illegal sex trade. Imagine the progress we could make toward our 2020 vision to build 15 campuses around the globe and have leadership development in this church. Just imagine, imagine, imagine what we could do, what you could do. With that $1,000 or we could do with a million dollars that we're just throwing away. Don't let those things ruin and wreck your life financially. 
Give it, save it, pay bills and taxes. And if you're sitting here going, I need help, I got good news for you. This spring, we're offering a thing called Financial Learning Experience. In fact, we're going to run it through the whole church. Financial Learning Experience. It's going to teach us how to budget. It's going to teach us how to get get out of debt step by step by step. I mean, I'm not going to preach on this kind of stuff without equipping you how to get out of debt. It wrecks me to think that 50% of the people in this church are up to their eyeballs in consumer debt. Last part. Last part. So we give it. We save it. We pay bills, taxes, and we spend it. We live on the rest. To which some of you are saying, but pastor, there's so little left. I get that. It's a paradigm shift. But when you start to live on the rest... Here's the but God, right? Here's what we don't factor in. When we start to live on the rest, God then steps in, blesses our lives. Watch this. So that in time, and I'm not saying in the next day, next week, next year. What I'm saying is if you start tapping in the true riches of God, in time, God's going to bless you so that guess what? Your giving goes up. You know why your giving goes up? Because it's percentage giving. And for your percentage giving to go up, that means you've got to be making more. Anybody believe it by faith? Say Amen. You, you're saving. You, your saving goes up. Oh, darn. Your taxes and your bills go up. <laughs> and you got more to live on. It's as if God is sitting back, kind of waiting in the wings. So that when a man and a woman transitions from owner to steward... Blessings, And I'm not, again, not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying go home. Your big checks are going to be in the mail. No, no. But, but the God just kind of waits in the wings and the blessing and the favor and the protection and the, and the guidance. And all of that starts to overflow so that everything goes up. Even what you spend to live on. Here's a quote for you to bury in your heart. Tweet this. When it is God's vision, God sends his provision. Come on now. When it is God's vision, God sends his provision. But you have to, here it is again, trust him. You have to take the steps and turn it from this, which is what many, many, many of us do, to this. You watch God thrust you into biblical richness. And I didn't even have to use my sweat cloth. (laughs) I want this so bad for you. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to say it. To make some of you feel better. I haven't always gotten this right. I've been a Christian 26 years. For the first six years of my Christian life, I didn't tithe. I was a student pastor. How slack is that? I didn't tithe. But then I got exposed to great biblical teaching and I trusted God. 
I want this so bad for you. I've said enough. There's a great, great couple in our church that put together a video that's just going to speak volumes to you. Lean in. Some of you might have seen this before. It's so good. It's better the second and the third time. So many layers to this. Lean in. Check this out. So it's really a powerful time for you to be able to just share. Why did you stop me? What were your, um, what were your thoughts or or impressions or um, emotions as I taught that message last week from Malachi three? I felt you were being very genuine. I love that you took responsibility first, and then that made I felt like everyone then to go inside themselves. Mm. Say where where's your responsibility in this too? Like somebody already owned up. Let's us own up. Mm. And personally, this has been um, an issue for me and God that I have always give. I give to goodwill. I give 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 give. But I there was this reluctancy to just give to the church. Like what are they doing with it? Kind of thing. Through a long process, God said yes. Honey, you give to the church 10%. You can continue to be a giver to everybody else. But that's not your tithing. Because I, I'm starting to learn tithing was not about our money. God did not mm. care about our money. He was really saying, do you trust me, Chandra? Mm. David, won't you, won't you walk us through what kind of came about here recently? You were already giving, and then you went through a difficult time. I was uh, a corporate salesperson, um, 80, 90% of my income is variable compensation through commissions. So um, we were accustomed to a fluctuating income, but over the last 12 months we had seen it fluctuate strictly one direction down. We had a heart to heart and I said, you know, I don't have another job, but I can't continue on like this. And you were having to make some hard decisions right. internally as as a man of God, as a man of faith, following Christ. Yeah, resigning was tough. I had to make that decision to give up the income that was putting food on our table without something come lined up behind it. Um, and so once we made the decision I was going to do that, I no longer had to make that tough decision. I was fired, and it was a big relief. Um, and, you know, I walked uh, the next day or within the next week. Um, I called someone who I knew and uh, asked him if I could work for them, and they said absolutely. And uh, they... Uh, the amount that they were willing to pay me um, covers all of our bills. The business that you do with your clients, the profit that you make from that or from their money coming in, you tell them 10% of it will go back to their, their church, local church. Their local church. Right. Doesn't so, impact your tithing to your church, no, but you so, say, of your money that comes in, I want you to take 10% of it and we're going to bless your local. That because is remarkable. The biggest thing I just want to say is that you can't learn this without trusting him mm. and you can't trust unless you're uncomfortable. And so we're, st we're still there. We're, mm. you know, like, I don't. You can't just, learn like, this unless you trust him. And yeah, you can't trust him unless you're uncomfortable. uncomfortable. That, that's a great quote. And, and we still haven't made it yet. But I know that it's coming mm. because we are getting all these other blessings. When you really accept um, tithing for what it is, um, I mean, it, it, we put it in our terms, we talk, what are we talking about? We have to forego a new iPod, some nonsense like that. I mean, we're not yeah. foregoing anything when we give up 10% of our first fruits. 
You always hear that. that that's a topic of conversation first. Yeah. After tax? Because I don't actually see that money. Yeah. 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 That's an argument. It's his first fruits. Yes. Okay, so you do with that what you want to do, but I believe first fruits means first money fruit. you're given. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason I say that is you look back in the, in the story of the Old Testament with the barn, right? So the guy's given all this food, and he's got too much. So what does he do? He doesn't give it away. He builds extra barns to store up his junk. That's yes. us today. Yes. You know, we're so worried about having crap stuff that... Um, <laughs> It's okay, man. That we, uh, <laughs> it's like we keep it real. Yeah, it's all right. So we're so worried about that that it's like, you know, for growth, we might not get some of this junk that we want. Mm. And it's the reality is that we all have more, I, mean, I shouldn't say we all, but we live in Chapel Hill. So I'm pretty yeah. much telling you, Chapel Hill, everybody has way more than what we need. We're not living by needs. We're living by wants over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you come to the, the reality of what the Bible tells us to do and realize what it is and trust in the Lord, um, then you understand what stewardship is. Mm. You guys are amazing. Chandra, what would you what would you share? I just say jump in and be totally uncomfortable and show that God is faithful. Mm. He will come through. Wow. Yeah, let's bless the Lord and thank God for David and Chandra Knott. What a, a great video. has been said pray reflect process discuss discuss with your spouse if you're married let's allow this next time of worship to be a moment where we take these things that we've heard from God's word and we reflect upon them and we sing and we worship and let it be a time of commitment time of declaring that we're going to follow Christ and be faithful disciples of him. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for uh, the day. I want to thank you for your people, for this church, for blessing us. God, I want this for us, not from us. I want this for us because you want it for us. And there is no better way to live. So it's a tough subject, God. It's a tough, tough subject. And it's easier said than done. So infuse within your people power and Holy Spirit, courage and boldness to trust you. And then, God, continue to bless this church in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Immeasurably more, Ephesians 3.20 says, immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. Bless this church and bless every individual in it. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope, visit us at www.newhopenc.org. If you have any prayer requests or praises, please email us at prayers at newhopenc.org. Our pastors and staff would love to pray for you.